Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you will hear Claire Sheridan in conversation with principal conductor and music director Martin West. This interview was recorded on Sunday, February 17th, 2019, before a performance of Program 2, Kaleidoscope, featuring Balanchine's Divertimento No. 15, Benjamin Millipier's Appassionata, and Justin Peck's Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. I see you're all filing in, but I'd like to welcome you to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interview at the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Claire Sheridan. I'm the founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College of California, and I'm your host this afternoon. I'd like to offer a special shout out to the SFB Parkinson's dancers who are here in the audience. There's a nice article about your movement classes in the program book. Check that out. Now, our guest today is someone that you see at San Francisco Ballet performances maybe more often than any other single dancer. He is that lovely man who appears before the curtain goes up. We applaud, and once the lights go down, he becomes that critical link between the orchestra and the pit and the dancers on stage so that, that the performance we see is deeper, richer, and more human. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome San Francisco Ballet's music director and principal conductor, Martin West. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Uh, you trained at London's Royal Academy of Music as well as the St. Petersburg Conservatory of Music. You played the cello, right? I did play the cello, yeah. You still play? Uh, not really. Um, I actually uh, lent my cello. When I came here, I didn't bring my cello with me, and I lent it to someone in England. And I, I finally brought it home, as it were, uh, just last year. I don't play because uh, I, I was, a, you know, I trained to a very high level, uh, did a postgraduate at the Royal Academy. And, uh, and then I got into conducting pretty quickly, and I, and I didn't have time to practice. And if you, if you play something to a reasonable level, and then you start playing something like the cello without having played for a while, it doesn't sound very good. But you first majored in math at Cambridge. How'd you make the switch? Uh, it was never a switch, actually. Um, I went to Cambridge in order to, to do music, because uh, I, I, by that stage, I, I, I was inkling towards wanting to be a musician. But um, I thought the best way of me getting into Cambridge was, was by trying to do the math course. <laughs> so I did that. And my, I, have two, I have two brothers who have, uh, we all went to Cambridge, we all did math, and we all ended up doing music in our way. So. Well done. Well, when did you discover the world of ballet? The world of ballet I came to actually relatively late. Um, so, I, as you said, I studied in St. Petersburg um, when I was at the Royal Academy. I had a little uh, three month. Uh, stint out in uh, St. Petersburg with a, an amazing conducting teacher called Ilya Moussin, who was uh, 90 at the time. Oh, I thought they were clapping me. Um, um, and uh, he came to give a master class at the Royal Academy, and he was so great. I wanted to um, go and learn with him, and I'd just started the course. And um, I, I said to my teacher, listen, he's very old. I don't want him to die before I go and study with him. So my teacher was very nice and let me have a, um, 
uh, uh, three months' uh, time in St. Petersburg. I forgot the question now. Well, the question was, what, what introduced you to ballet? Oh, yeah, yeah. So well, that was when I first ever saw ballet. It was in St. Petersburg, actually. So I was 25, and I went to see Swan Lake at the Kirov. And it was great, because being a student of Musin, it was quite a privileged um, position in the conservatory. And we, all we had to do is show our badges at the Kirov, across the road, and we can get to see any performance that we wanted. Uh, any, any day, so we, I just went and watched all sorts of things. Well, um, what surprised you about the ballet world when you were learning more and more? I mean, was it the dancers or what? I mean, you were used to the world of music. What surprised you about the well, ballet world? It was very interesting because the first time I saw Swan Lake, I went with a friend uh, who hadn't seen much ballet, but a little bit more than me. And I just spent the whole time saying, why have we stopped? Why, why is that music so slow? Why are we doing this? Why is that? That's not the right bit. Why haven't we played that bit? Because I knew the music from learning it as a, as a, from the score musician, but I'd never seen the ballet. So I was completely nonplussed. So I, I really didn't, I think I maybe saw one other ballet while I was there and didn't, you know, wasn't taken with ba- ballet. It was not what I was brought up with. And it was only when I came back to England and a couple of years later, I think it was, I got a phone call from uh, a man who worked at English National Ballet as a pianist who wanted to be a conductor. And he wanted to go and study with Moosin. And he wanted to know how to do it, because in those days it was not an easy task to get the visas and all the things to, to get into, into the class there. So I, I went out for dinner with him, and I explained everything that I went through to get into the conservatory. And just as an aside, I said, so, you know... Uh, how do you conduct for ballet? You know, how does that work? And because um, I was look, I was I just left the academy, and uh, I was looking for work as any you know young conductor does. And I didn't really care what I was going to do. I just wanted to conduct. And um, so he said, "Well, actually, no, we're advertising a job. Uh, it's going to be in the paper next week, even as assistant conductor. And uh, we need we have a, a music director, and we, they need an assistant conductor to do a, some of the shows and play a bit of piano." And, uh, Oh, I used to play the piano. It can't be that hard. And so I applied, and it was like one of those strange things. I didn't get the job. They didn't even audition me. They they pointed someone else, and uh, that was fine. I had no expectations. And then about six months later, they said, uh, "Are you still interested?" Because the person that we appointed hasn't stayed. He's gone to do something else. And so I said, "Sure." And uh, that was it, kind of. Well, you joined San Francisco Ballet in 2005, and um, I read that the ideal ballet conductor needs to be an observer, a mind reader, and a problem solver. And this is done during the performance. Can you talk about that a little bit? You don't just play the music as you rehearsed it. You're, you're monitoring the situation. Uh, yeah, it's good. What, what, let's do all the other. Yes, okay, an observer, a observer. mind reader. Well, that's reader. easy. Yeah. I have watch. I watch. That's, that's easy. <laughs> a mind reader. Mind reader. Oh, yeah. Well, see, every dancer has their own personality and their own way of dealing with things. And there are dancers who you know that will take risks and enjoy the risk-taking and, uh, and take thrill from you taking a risk with them. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You hope it works more than, often, more than it doesn't. But by, doing, by, by be, being the mind reader, where you can say to thinking, you know what, she's going to do something, she's going to try for that fourth pirouette. I know, I, I can see it, you know. And you sort of try and you guess. No, not to end the music until she's done that. Oh, you know, oh, she's going to take a little time, a little slower there, or, or set it up so that that might happen, you know, so that 
It's not something that you do there and then. Uh, you, uh, what was the last one? Oh, um, problem solver. Well, yes, it's that, that, this is the same thing. So the problem solving is that, you know, you see that, well, actually she did four pirouettes, and now she's behind the beat. So how am I going to get her back on? Because I don't want to spoil her flow. I don't want to spoil the flow of the music either, because the music still has to say its own, be its own thing. It can't just be rigidly following the dancer. So then you problem solve. So where, where am I going to find the time to get the orchestra going through a little quicker or a little slower or whatever, take more, more breath, less breath, to get us back on track as the quickest and most seamless way. Now, a dancer can, can talk to you ahead of the show and, and say, I'd like this section to be a little slower, this tempo it will be a little faster. Sure. How do you remember that? I mean, are you notating all these things? Uh, and I'd lose my job if I didn't. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I think the thing is, you, I I know, I I know I try and know the ballets well enough that that I know how it's going to go basically. So if she wants a little bit of something here, I just have one thing to focus on. I, it's not that much of a thing to ask about, mm. you know. So it could be something like, I know I like to jump high, so can we take this section a little slower? And that's an easy thing to remember because if it's someone who jumps high, that's not a difficult thing to remember. I've heard some horror stories where dancers gotten injured because the tempo was wrong. You know, not here. Well, yeah, thank God. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that, that they were expecting to, to do a certain leap and, and they were trying to end on the beat and it, just, it was just a disaster. They... Yeah, the, well, you know, you, the idea is to make them feel comfortable. I, I, it is a horrible thing. When people have got injured when I'm conducting and I hope it's not my fault. And, but it is a horrible feeling because you think, oh, my God, was that uh, my mistake? You know, uh, 10 years ago, we had a horrible injury in a dress rehearsal where um, a girl f- just, we were, I was playing away. This wasn't the first time we'd done it. And uh, she suddenly this extraordinary scream of agony where she, she totally blew her knee out because, and I was thinking, uh, you know, and then actually the choreographer said to me, well, maybe it was a bit too fast. I thought, oh, my God, I've just ruined someone's career. And then it turned out, in fact, that it was the dress that was too long that she'd complained about for many, many times in the fitting, saying, I don't think I can wear that dress. And she got a foot stuck in the dress and totally blew it. But, you know, but at the feeling that you have that you could have done that damage to someone is just horrible. Uh, when's the last time you were surprised by something that happened during a performance? Like, really Yesterday? surprised? <laughs> yeah, well, yesterday. I mean, it happens every, every performance. Yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, I mean, if you, there's some really surprising things that happened. Uh, I mean, as I get older, things are less of a shock. I mean, the surprising things happen all the time. I think when I, very early on when I started conducting for English National Ballet, I think I'd only been there for about three months, and we were doing Sleeping Beauty, which is a, quite a test for a conductor. And uh, you probably, a lot of you have probably seen the, the, the Rosa Darge and how the, the girl balances and she's taken around. And at the end, it's so grand music. And she's taken around in a promenade by the four suitors. And she balances in between and she, she's so calm. It's a fantastic bit of ballet. If you haven't seen it, see it next, week, next month. Um, and so it's a, very difficult, it's a very difficult passage anyway for the conductor because the music's huge and grand and you have to try and problem solve just how well these promenades are going and the balances and all these things like that. And uh, you, if sometimes if you get it wrong, you're left with, this, with egg on face because you have like, no music left or we have so much, so we have three more balances to go and you, you sort of finish your music. So it's a, it's a really, that's a big challenge when you're playing this incredible music. You don't want to be thinking about that, but that's what you're doing in the pit. That's my job. But there's one particular performance where 
um, the principal ballerina of English National Ballet, she liked balancing, and she got up onto her first balance and then just stood there. And the, the, uh, the promenade, the, the, the suitor, just didn't get hold of her hand. So he, I, was, I was thinking, oh, my God, I have to slow down so much. It's going to be, you know. So I slowed down the music even more, and the, the trumpet players were going blue in the face because they couldn't play. <laughs> and then it got to the stage where she should have really done about three promenades, and she was still standing there. And she literally on, on, peak, on, on one foot in balance. And, uh, and I thought, she's not going to bring her hand down. I thought, I better get on with it because, uh, because you know, she might be there forever. So I, then I carried on. And then, so all these things going through my mind and, and all, of, uh, all at the same time, she's standing there looking completely regal on the stage. The orchestra, you know, playing the heart out as, you know, as, you know incredible music. And then we all finished and she just went, thank you. So. Um, now, what are the qualities you look for when hiring a new musician for the ballet orchestra? I mean, you've assembled a tremendous team. Uh, well, I just look for good musicians. So we have a very um, strict audition procedure here. Um, it, everything is done behind the screen. So like we never see the player until we offer them the job, uh, with very few exceptions. And um, so... We have a policy that if you apply, you can come and audition. So uh, we have hundreds of resumes come in for, for the jobs. And uh, we, we look through them. I don't personally do that, but uh, that all the resumes are looked through. And we try and sift out the ones which we think are likely candidates. And we, we send encouraging or discouraging letters. But, it, but if you really want to come, um, you can come and play. And then it's all done very fairly. There's votes for the first round, and we keep going, and we keep going. We sort of, it's like a beauty contest. We've got to whittle away a few more. And then we get through to a final round, and uh, another, a bigger selection of the musicians. We, the orchestra members are part of the panel. And we just listen. We sent them excerpts from our repertoire, mostly. They play some concertos, usually with a piano, so we see how they play with other people. They play with chamber music, so members of the orchestra will play with them behind the screen, so we hear how they play. And, uh, you know, we start... The, 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 the procedure normally lasts two or three days, depending how many people we have playing. But the final day, we start at 10 o'clock, and it's not been unknown that we, we're still going at 8 o'clock in the evening, trying to whittle away. And it's a horrible thing for the people to have to do, you know. They keep coming back, and we ask them to play a little bit more, and then we send them back, and we talk for hours and... What's the vibe in the pit? I mean, when, when it's like one big family type of thing, or is it very serious? Well, all those things. It is a family. Um, I mean, you, they live together. You know, it's a, it's a small place, the pit. You have to get on. Um, well, I, I see a hot tub and a wine yeah. cellar. Oh, but you, you haven't seen... You no, know, downstairs, though, there's a poker table, and they have... Uh, there's been a poker table going on for about 35 years now. It's the same players. I don't know. They keep claim, claiming that they don't lose much money, but someone's got to be losing a lot of money, I think. Um, but you know, it's very. But being uh, in an orchestra, it's. I mean, it's like being in any company. You you see the same people all the time, and you and you're working in a, in a quite a pressurized environment. You know, there's not like you can't put um, a file in the wrong place and make make amends. If you put a note in the wrong place, that's it. You've done your job badly. And so every night they have to re come again, and we all have to come. Any performing artist does with their whole being and totally prepared and, and, and focusing. 
If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Martin West, San Francisco Ballet's music director and principal conductor. And in a while, we'll be able to take some questions from the audience. Um, FYI, this Meet the Artist interview is one of many audience engagement programs offered by San Francisco Ballet. If you go to sfballet.org and click on the events tab, you can learn about other offerings like master classes and ballet talks with wine and cheese and fun parties. And if you want to relive this Meet the Artist experience, you can find podcasts of, this, of these interviews on our website at, uh, on, or on uh, any podcast player. Today we're seeing program two which offers three ballets, Divertimento Number no. 15, Appassionata, and Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. So let's start with Divertimento Number no. 15, choreographed by George Balanchine for New York City Ballet in 1956. Uh, Martin, what would you like us to know about this music? Uh, Mozart. It's Mozart. Um, he, he was uh, about 21 when he wrote this, so he was pretty mature for, Mo uh, for Mozart. It's not, not his totally mature phase. It was written, um, a lot of these pieces that he wrote, he wrote for friends or for the aristocracy. Um, so he wrote this on a commission for someone. Um, I will tell you, it's an interesting piece. Um, it's, uh, it's written for strings and two horn players, so that's an interesting mix of instruments anyway. I imagine that's what he had available for, the, for that particular engagement. But what's really interesting about it is uh, it's astonishingly difficult to play. Uh, Mozart is always quite difficult to play, but f for the first violins especially, he writes inc really high. Uh, and actually, I've been talking to some of our players, and, and no one can think of a, a single piece by Mozart where he writes anywhere near as high as the instrument. And he makes it really hard. Uh, probably when it was first performed, it was done by single players. So my theory is it was either written for someone who was incredibly good or someone who Mozart didn't like, it could be either way, because it's, uh, it's, uh, really, it's really fiendish. But you, not that you'd know, because uh, my guys just completely nail it every night. It's, it's remarkable what they achieve. Uh, it's, uh, you listen to it, and especially in the pas de deux, uh, in the slow, the slow movement, the penultimate movement. Uh, just, just see if you listen. It goes like this. Almost, you know, the fingers are in the noses. They're so high. It's, uh, it's, uh, so that would, you should know that. You should never know that it's difficult by listening to it, but you should know that this is quite an extraordinary piece for Mozart. The second ballet this afternoon is Appassionata, choreographed by Benjamin Milpier. It features three couples who embody different emotional states in the course of romantic love. And the music is Beethoven. Now, who is that magnificent pianist who plays the, uh, the score for this ballet? Uh, well, we have two, actually. Uh, it's a huge piece. The Appassionata Sonata is really a huge piece, and uh, uh, middle Beethoven period, really technically challenging, and 30 minutes of really full-on playing. And uh, so uh, originally it was, I, was, I thought about giving it to one person, which was going to be Mongo Buryat, who did the opening night. And then... Uh, having talked to Mongo, I realized that for her it was a lot to be able to do, you know, especially the, cons the prospect of doing twice in a day, and she also has other things to do in, in uh, the, the other program. So then uh, I asked uh, Natasha Fagino, I think he's playing today, uh, who's uh, another of my pianists, say, well, you know, would you like to do it? So what we've done is we have two casts of, of dancers, so we split the two casts and the two pianists between them, um, so, yeah, they're, they're my pianists. They do a fantastic job. They, they're one of the most under, what's the word, uh, uh, unsung heroes of the, of the ballet world, the pianists. They, 
they get up with the dancers and they do play class uh, and they play their heart out for, for class. Then they play rehearsals all day and then they might come and play a, a huge sonata or concerto in the evening. So they, they work very hard. And During class, when you're, when you're, the dancers take class every morning and they're so tired and they come in and sometimes that penis can just lift you up. I mean, there you are doing the, your bar exercises as usual, but if you have a wonderful pianist, it just, it, it, it's a magic. And I, I know that they're, they're magic here at San Francisco Ballet. Now, um, there aren't many choreographers who have used the music of Beethoven. Why is that? I don't know. I suppose it's not very dancey. Um, I guess, well, the, the, the language of ballet has changed, hasn't it? The, 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 uh, the vocabulary of, of dance steps has, has, has uh, expanded so much over the years. And the, the, the reason for ballet has expanded as well. So, you know, in the early days, it was about dance. It was, you know, enjoying the movement. And, and Beethoven, it doesn't lend itself to that. You know, the Passionata, is, it doesn't have a, a, a dancey step or anything. It's, it's, it's more about the emotion. So I think um, with, with Benjamin's work, it's, obviously he does dance steps, but it, there's a huge amount of emotion involved, which I think maybe in the old days, Bali wasn't about that, was it? You know, uh, you watch Don Q, and it's not about the emotion of Kitri and Basilio. It's about how, how high they can jump and how many fuetes they can do. Uh, I think so. Maybe that's why. It's just uh, maybe Beethoven will be done more and more as time goes on. I don't know. And then finally, Hurry Up, We're Dreaming, choreographed by 31-year-old Justin Peck to music by French electronic music band M83. The music is inspired by the way we all dream at different phases of our life, from child to teenager to adult. Now, this is recorded music, so the orchestra has a break. And uh, who's in charge of the recording during the performance? Uh, um, good question. So uh, the stage manager calls the, the, the music to begin, and then there's uh, up, up in the, I think on the fifth floor backstage, way up in the thing, there's a big sound room which controls all the, uh, so we're talking through microphones now, it's the, the sound guys are controlling all this. Anything you hear backstage, the announcements from the, from the tannoy, all, all the crew have headsets when they're talking, it's all done by the sound guys, so... All the fallback C microphones in the pit here, that's all taken into it, goes up into the soundboard, gets fed through the various, you know, um, the, the fallback for the stage in the, in the outside of the uh, theatre when it's being played. So there's actually quite a big department and has to do all that, to be surprised. Speaking of recordings, you and the Ballet Orchestra have made a number of albums. What's in the pipeline? Um, well, we, we've got two that we have finished and haven't released yet, so we... A couple of years ago, we, we, we recorded Swimmer, and uh, we just that took a long time to get edited. It's a very long process, but it's, it's finally done now. So we, we look, we, when, we have a, when I have a bit of a moment, we're looking to uh, get that out. Uh, we're going to probably package it with Raku, because uh, then we have the two Shinji Eshima ballets with, with us in one CD. And uh, last year, we recorded, the first time we've ever done this, we recorded... Um, something live in the opera house. We'd, so if, uh, if you saw Frankenstein last year, we, we took, uh, over the course of the week, we took uh, three or four performances just live. And uh, so that's a, and that unfortunately has been slightly delayed as well for various reasons, but we're just about to start editing that together now. So that should come out hopefully in the next couple of months as well. So we're very excited about that because I think 
I was I was really taken with the music, and uh, I think it's an important thing for us to be recording music, which won't get played very often. And so it's out there for forever. And the orchestra, uh, that was a particularly astonishingly hard piece of music to play. And the orchestra just were fantastic. So, My last question before we take questions from the audience is, how do you like to spend your time when you're not here? Uh, I, I like cooking. I do a lot of cooking, actually. I do all the cooking at home. I like to spend some time with my children because during the season I don't get to see them very much. So, uh, in fact, it's my son's birthday party this afternoon. So, I should be rushing off to go to a bowling party after that. Um, uh, yeah, guys, I don't know. It's, do you listen to music for fun? I, I, not really, yeah. no. Um, <laughs> not really. No, I should, shouldn't I? Um, I used to. I used to. I get so tired now. Um, Yes. I, I, must have, I must do other things. I can't think of anything now. But yeah, during the season, I just go home and I sleep and I come back to work. So. I think like, m most of the people who are performing do, do the same, I think. You, that's your life. Can I take some questions, please, for Martin? Yes. Uh, the question is, is that y you can interact with the dancers when you're playing live music, but when there's a recording, is it more difficult for the dancers to, to, to perform and respond? Oh, that's a good question. Um, obviously, you, you probably have to ask the dancers that. From my musical point of view, uh, I, my belief is that live music adds to the, the dancers' performance because they, of course, from the recording, they know what's going to happen. They know how, how high they can leap for this and they hand, how fast they have to turn. So it's not that they become automatons at all, but they, they know exactly what's going to come. Whereas in a live performance... As I said, you know, like I said before, you can you can see that they're they're wanting to do something, burst out somehow, or they're having a hard time. Even you know, maybe something doesn't work so well, and you can help them through that as well. So, I I believe that live music is 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 why. Uh, how can I put it? It's not that we, we can help them; these world class dancers be even greater than they they are. That's that's my hope. Uh, obviously, recorded music is is is, is what it is, and. Uh, uh, I encourage all my any choreographer who comes to do live music because I think that's how we make great art. Yeah, yes. How often do the orchestra members rehearse with the dancers before a program? We always have two rehearsals, just just two. We have one we call orchestra tech. So uh, we have a three-hour rehearsal then, and then we have a dress rehearsal. So we only ever get two rehearsals. Sometimes if we have a brand new full length, we'll have two dress rehearsals, but uh, it's it's not very much. In fact, you know, I just was in Amsterdam uh, doing Cinderella that we do here with same production, and they had four four orchestra before the pre-general. Then they had a general, and then it was like, oh my goodness, this is, uh, is can we can we perform already? Is so if your budget was tripled, that's the kind of stuff you'd ask for. Um. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's something about uh, the, 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 the excitement of having to learn things quick. You know, the, if, if you have all the time in the world to learn something, you take all the time in the world. The, the, the thing I would do it for is, is that people, the, some of the dancers don't get a chance to rehearse with orchestra. And sometimes there are things that pop up in those rehearsals uh, with uh, orchestra and dancers that they're just that we haven't quite got time to fix because we're so limited in time. And so the things like 
I would like to re-rehearse the orchestra because something I'd done in rehearsal hadn't really worked out and I'm having to try and change the way we're playing the music to fit what I realize now is going to be better fit for the dance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, maybe one more rehearsal each time would be really nice or maybe even just an hour extra, you know. Uh. Yes, and... The, yes. Uh, where did you grow up and how did you start the cello? Okay, uh, so I grew up in a place called Bolton, which is uh, just north of Manchester in England. And um, I, well, as I said, I have two brothers who are both musicians as well. And my mum used to teach uh, flute and clarinet for the local city council. And uh, in fact, my first instrument wasn't cello. My first instrument was percussion. And my mum uh, used to be part of the, she used to run the youth orchestra, help run the youth orchestra, which was on Friday nights. And both my brothers played in it, and my dad worked late. And she didn't have babysitting for me. So I had to go and watch youth orchestra rehearsals. And I was four years old and I sat at the back. And the percussion teacher said, why doesn't he play percussion? So I actually, my first instrument was playing triangle in the orchestra when I was four. <laughs> thanks to my mom. So, and then uh, my brother played the cello, but he always wanted to be a double bass player. And as soon as he was old enough, and he was very young, he, he, got, he got a full-size double bass when he was about eight or something. It was like, it was like this. Uh, and his cello was going spare. I had been learning the violin and that hadn't been going very well. And uh, in order not to upset the violin teacher, because uh, my mum knew her, rather than just give up, she said, oh, I think he'd really like to play the cello. So I took my brother's cello and started playing the cello and that was it. I didn't ever look back. So. Well, Thank you. We are out of time, folks. Um, please join me in thanking our guest today, San Francisco Ballet's music director and principal conductor, Martin West. Thank you. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.